Welcome back to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thank you for joining me. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, a lot of time writing about, and doing some research on things in the Camarena case that just don't make sense, at least to me. Things that just don't quite add up. And there's a lot of them. And we're going to talk about some of them over the next few weeks. But there are things that, that, as I say, just don't quite add up. And then there are questions that we just don't have answers to. Important, significant questions in the case. For example, a morbid example is who actually killed Agent Camarena, or even more fundamental, who gave that order. Now, it may be that people think they know the answer to those questions, We can um, hypothesize, probably with a pretty good basis, at least on some of these questions, but I don't think we necessarily have solid answers. And there may be people who think that they, again, that they know the answers. Um, Elaine Shannon, I know, has a new edition of Desperados coming out. Hopefully there's some more information there that helps us with those questions, but they still remain unanswered to me. And that's what makes the Camarena case fascinating and frustrating, you know, 38 years later and makes it an example of justice not served in my mind. So when I'm going through these these anomalies, the things that don't add up. One of the things that doesn't add up a lot is the case of Dr. Umberto Alvarez Machine. And before I get started and talking about him, I'm going to refer to him as Dr. Machine. I know that it should be Dr. Alvarez. But for 30 plus years, me and everybody I know called him Dr. Machine. And so it's really hard for me to switch gears now. So forgive me. Anybody who's offended um, that I'm not saying Dr. Alvarez, I apologize. But I want to talk about the the Dr. Machine case because I think it's interesting. It's curious. It's perplexing in some ways. And I think it shows how careful we have to be about the narrative that some people have pressed, the narrative that was presented by the prosecution in the two Zuno trials, which again, were two different narratives in large respects. The narrative pressed by Hector Bereas and others in the last NARC. Other narratives out there about the case there are nuances and there are subtleties that are reflected in the Dr. Machine case that I think are important. So I want to go through those with you and hopefully you'll see where I'm headed um, as we go through some of the facts. So who is Dr. Machine? Well, Dr. Machine was a gynecologist in Guadalajara who at some point became a doctor for the drug traffickers. As lots of people have said, when the traffickers in Guadalajara partied, they partied hard. And as a result, they needed some medical attention from time to time for 
you know, to revive people, to prevent overdoses, to treat overdoses, etc. And at some point, Dr. Machine became one of those doctors, primarily for Rafael Caracantero, but also for Ernesto Fonseca. And, you know, the best explanation I have come up with is he was a doctor who liked hanging around with the traffickers because they had lots of money. They threw good parties. They had good drugs. um, And they had lots of pretty women. So for a very large man who's a gynecologist, maybe not, um, you know, all that exciting on his own, it was a way to be with the popular people. So he... Uh, again, was around the traffickers a lot. His name was fairly well known. And at one point or another, after the Camarena case, he became a subject of interest. If you remember, during, and and I'm going to talk about this at the end, but during the Camarena investigation, the FBI searched, and and um, you know conducted CSI work at Lope de Vega, and in doing that, they found two syringes. Based on those syringes, some other people talking, etc. Doctor Machine became a subject of interest, and there was a warrant out for him. Okay. The government, the DEA, wanted him into the United States. And on April 3rd, 1990, okay, so five years after Agent Camarena's abduction, he was essentially abducted off the streets of Guadalajara, put on a private plane, and flown to El Paso, Texas, landing at about 4 p.m. 4 p.m. April 3rd, 1990. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the background on how he was picked up and who ordered it. There's a lot of debate about that, and I I just don't think it's that important for the point I'm trying to make today. But in short, there were claims that there were bounty hunters um, in um, Mexico who picked him up. Agent Boreas, <clears throat> excuse me, Agent Boreas says that he was authorized by uh, the DEA administration to offer money for him to, to have Dr. Machine picked up. Okay, let me say that one more time. Sorry about that. Hector Boreas says that the DEA administration in D.C. approved the plan and approved money to have Dr. Machine picked up and brought to uh, El Paso. DEA has denied that in some respects or in most respects. Antonio Garate Bustamante has said that he was the one involved in it. Again, really not sure. But what we do know is he was basically kidnapped from Guadalajara, taken to El Paso. His case is an interesting legal case went up to the U.S. Supreme Court like three times on extraterritorial rendition, issues of damages, uh, being able to sue the government, all of that. Very interesting if you're into 
international law, those sorts of things, but we're not going to talk about it much more than this today. Going back to the chronology, he lands in El Paso at 4 p.m. You know, there's the urban legend that the plane barely even stopped and he was tossed out. Um, you know, you almost get the vision of, of him rolling up to uh, Hector Boreas's feet. Um, but he gets out of the plane, is immediately arrested, and um, it's, it's kind of interesting. What does he do? <sighs> Excuse me again. He um he gets you know he gets out of the plane. Boreas arrests him, and he says to Boreas, and this is in the DEA six report. He says that he was glad to be in the U.S., that he was tired of hiding, that he felt relieved, and that the time had come for him to straighten out his affairs. So basically, the first thing he says. And I don't know about you, but that that's kind of interesting to me, you know, and then they take him to from the airport. They take him to um, the DEA offices in El Paso. And he gives a post arrest interview where he says he is fully willing to cooperate with the DEA and he waives his rights. Both verbally and in writing. So let's think about this. The idea is, as I think you know, the idea is that while Agent Cameron was being interrogated and tortured, the government thinks that Dr. Machine gave medical attention to Camarena to keep him alive longer. That's the reason they wanted him. So if that's the case, let's assume for the sake of argument that's true, is his response one that you would expect? And I know I've got some law enforcement folks who, um, present and former, who listen to this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this um, because, again, you know, I'm just an outsider uh, looking in. But the fact that he says, hey, I'm glad I'm here. Let me get this straightened out and waives his rights is interesting to me. So what does he say then? They said, hey. Did you go to uh, Lope de Vega when Cameron is there? And he says, yep, sure did. I went, now he couldn't remember the day, but he says, I went to Lope de Vega with a Jorge Gomez Espana and Guillermo Chavez Sanchez to clear up a misunderstanding between Gomez Espana and Rafa. Rafa apparently thought that Gomez Espana was a DA informant. So he shows up with the three of them. Gomez Espana goes inside of Lope de Vega to try to straighten things out. And Dr. Machine waits outside, notes that there is a DFS commandante, Rogelio Munoz, who is standing guard outside. Munoz tells him to be quiet, tells him to wait. Eventually, Gomez Espana comes out, says, got everything squared away with Rafa. Let's go inside. They go inside. And I am told that his description of Lope de Vega is, is quite accurate. 
but he says it goes inside and um, they eat from a table in the kitchen where there's food and drink and stuff. And then he sa- says in his DA6, well, here are some of the people that were present. Okay. Before I tell you who the people are, remember back to Hector Cervantes Santos's testimony about who was there, and particularly Jorge Godoy and Rene Lopez Romero. Remember all of the politicians, all of the traffickers, you know, military people, Manuel Bartlett Diaz, you know, governors, all those people there. All right. Listen to who. Alvarez Machine says was there. Fonseca, we knew that. Jorge Salazar, Carlos Martinez Espinoza, and his brother, known as Los Carlitos, Javier Barba Hernandez, Dr. Juan Luis Beltran Alvarez, and Miguel Angel Juarez Medina. He says there were some others there that he didn't know or couldn't remember their names. Okay? But but think about this. Think about this. Who all is missing from that? Everyone. Not everyone. Most of the important people that went to the conspiracy alleged by the government in the two Zuno trials are not there according to Dr. Machine, who has already said, hey, I'm more than happy to tell you, yep, I was at Lope de Vega, and I'm going to tell you more of what he says. Now, again, he did say, there are some other people there, but I didn't know them. But again, if it's Manuel Bartlett Diaz, if it's General Gardoki, if it's you know famous politicians, he's got to know who they are. He has absolutely no incentive at this point not to say, that they were there, right? <clears throat> and yet he doesn't. He says nothing. Doesn't mention them at all. Then he says, a little while later, he was walking around and he looked into a bedroom and saw Carl Quintero interrogating a man that he later learned would be or was Agent Camarena. He says at the time, that the man was clothed and did not appear to be hurt or in distress. And then he left with Gomez España and Chavez Sanchez. He leaves, but he comes back the next day. Okay? He says basically the same group of people were there. And then he saw the man that he'd seen the day before who was being interrogated. Now he says that he was in very bad shape, near death, right? Very, very bad shape. And he's being attended to by a doctor, but not it, it wasn't him. He says it was a Dr. Mejia Monje. Right? And he says that at that point, Caro Quintero says, all right, you've got to take the doctor. And we're all going to the airport because I'm getting out of town. I'm going to go to Costa Rica because this is going to blow up bad. So they head to the airport. And this Dr. 
Mejia Monhe is very upset in the car with Dr. Machine, says, I don't want to go to Costa Rica. And Machine basically says, dude, you already screwed up. <laughs> you, know, you, you ain't getting out of this now. Then he says, hey, we got there and there was an MFJP task force at the airport. They show their credentials. Carl's group shows DFS credentials. And then he says, hey, we saw or I saw MFJP Commandant Pavon Reyes. Remember, Pavon Reyes was the head of that MFJP group at the Guadalajara Airport. He's the one who went you know, on the plane, talked to, to Carl Quintero, sorry, and then comes out and says, hey, he had DFS credentials. Dr. Machine says that he personally observed Caro give Pavon Reyes a check for 60 million pesos. He then says um, that the plane left. This other doctor, Mejia Monje, was on the plane and Machine was still there. He gets back into his car, drives back to Guadalajara. He then later figured out that the person that they had taken uh, to the airport or that had been at Lope de Vega, I'm sorry, the person who had been at Lope de Vega that he saw being interrogated and treated in the bedroom was Agent Camarena. So what happens now? Dr. Machine, again, flown to El Paso. He's arrested and he's charged with three counts. He's charged with committing conspiracy to commit violent acts in furtherance of a racketeering activity. He's charged with kidnapping and conspiracy to commit a federal agent. And he's charged with felony murder of a federal agent. This case goes to trial in December of 1992. Government puts on its case. Now remember... I'm here when this happens, right? I'm sitting next to Dr. Alvarez. The government rests its case. There is a brief discussion with Dr. Machine's attorney at the council table. He gets up and asks for a judgment of acquittal under Rule 29 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. Just so you know what that says. Okay. Rule 29 motion before submission to the jury. After the government closes its evidence or after the close of all the evidence, the court on a defendant's motion must enter a judgment of acquittal, acquittal sorry, for any offense for which the evidence is insufficient to sustain a conviction. It also says the court on its own may consider whether the evidence is insufficient to sustain the conviction. In this case, the jury are darn it. In this case, after the prosecution closes its case in chief, Dr. Machine's counsel makes an oral Rule 29 motion. 
The court asks for briefing on it and then later rules on it. And he grants the motion. He says that the government has completely failed to establish or present a prima facie case. Judge Rafiti, who again, you know, was not a soft on crime person, generally speaking, but he says the government's case was based on, quote, suspicions and hunches, but no proof. And that the theory of the prosecution's case was, quote, whole cloth, the wildest speculation, close quote. Now, some people are going to say, wait a second. Judge Rafiti did not like the fact that Dr. Machine was taken from Guadalajara and brought to the United States. In fact, he had initially dismissed the indictment against Dr. Machine, but that got overruled by the Supreme Court of the United States in those cases that I was talking about. So he had an incentive to find that, um, you know, to find for Dr. Machine to rule in this in this way on the rule, on the Rule 29 motion. There's two big problems with that. Number one is he could have been overturned on appeal, but he wasn't. Second, I was there. Okay? I sat through every single day of testimony, and there was nothing, nothing, nothing. I repeat for emphasis, there was no evidence that directly connected Dr. Machine to anything that actually happened to Agent Camarena. He was at Lope de Vega. He admits that. But other than that, there was absolutely nothing. Okay? So, as I see it, you have the DEA and the government hell-bent on getting Dr. Machine to the United States hell-bent on charging him. And then they put on a case that doesn't even go to the jury, that doesn't even establish a prima facie case against Dr. Machine. But then it gets worse. After the fact, after the fact, you have Agent Boreas in a Fox News interview saying, at that point, he, let me back up. This is a direct quote from Agent Brea's in a Fox News report. And I can put it up on my website if you want to see it. He says, at that point, he, referring to Dr. Machine, administered lidocaine into his heart to keep him alert and awake during the torture. In addition, if you go back and look at the last narc, I don't want to encourage anybody to watch it, but if you don't believe me, you can go back and look and trust me. Manuel Madrano, Manny Madrano, who was the AUSA in charge of the prosecution in Zuno 1 and Zuno 2, he says 
in the last narc. He talks about Dr. Munchine and says he stabbed Agent Camarena in the heart, gave him lidocaine to keep him alive. That son of a bitch. He couldn't prove it at trial, but he's completely happy sitting in front of a camera for Amazon Prime telling people that this is what Dr. Machine did. In addition, if you go back and you look um, in the Netflix series, Narcos Mexico, they kind of repeat this, that Dr. Machine was the one who kept Agent Camarena alive. At one point, Dr. Machine threatened to sue Netflix. I don't think that happened. There's a whole variety of reasons. Dr. Machine has been um, interviewed a couple of times. Um, There was Laura Logan uh, when she was still with 60 Minutes. I think she interviewed him. Um, I, I know there's been one or two others. He's always denied any involvement in what happened to Agent Camarena. And he's always kind of been pretty open about the fact that he associated with traffickers. But again, said, nope, nothing to do with what happened to Agent Camarena. Once the um, the judgment of acquittal happened, Machine was returned to Mexico to not an insignificant amount of fanfare. Um, as you can imagine, there were some in Guadalajara in Mexico who um, were not big fans of his rendition um, and being brought to the United States. He operates a um, a taco restaurant in Guadalajara. It's oftentimes referred to as a taco stand. It's a small restaurant. Uh, food is really good, and uh, there's a, it's actually like three little restaurants all together. Really good, um, really cheap, and, and uh, it's, it's a nice place. And again, he continues to deny any involvement with Agent Camarena. So why do I bring this up? Part of the frustrating thing for me when I talk about this case to other people is all of their information comes from Narcos Mexico and or The Last Narc. And it makes sense, right? Those have been seen by lots of people. Um, you know, my book, Jaime Kirkendall's book, my podcast, much smaller audience, right? Understand that. But when I try to talk to people and say, hey, there's a lot more subtlety here. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes. You cannot trust on its face everything that is said by Agent Boreas or Manny Madrano. You just can't. Now, if you want to factor it in, that's fine. But don't believe that everything you see in Narcos Mexico or The Last Narc is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I think... Dr. Machine's case shows that. Both in what he said in his interview after being picked up, and again, an interview he gave freely, waived all of his rights, 
and in the government's abject failure to prove a case against him. You know, I got to tell you, if I was Manny Medrano, rather than sitting in, uh, in a studio proclaiming what Dr. Machine did, I'd be avoiding talking about it forever because that was a monumental failure. Monumental. You already know my feelings on the conviction of Ruben Zuno Arce, but that's a different point for a different time. Now, here's one last question I want to leave you with. We know that sometime between Agent Camarena uh, being killed and moved from Lope de Vega, and and I'm not necessarily saying he was dead when he left Lope de Vega, but um, from the time Agent Camarena was transported out of Lope de Vega until the FBI was able to get into Lope de Vega, Lope de Vega was cleaned, right? We know that um, there were Mexican uh, officials, police, DFS, MFJP, who had things like um, ropes and ties. We know that there had been some cleaning in the house with respect to like walls and things. Um, I'm told that the kitchen was a complete and total disaster. The the pool was a mess. All those sorts of things. But from a crime scene standpoint, it had been cleaned with air quotes. So riddle me this, Batman. If Lope de Vega was cleaned, why was it that two syringes were found during that search. I believe Bill Koontz from the DEA is the one who found them. But if it was cleaned, if they took out ropes, if they painted over walls, um, you know, all these sorts of things, why were two syringes found? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's not important. Maybe it's a little fact. You know, everything's not neat and clean, right? But it still bothers me. It's another question that I have. As I said earlier, I know that there are law enforcement folks, DEA agents who listen to this. If you have thoughts, uh, if I'm completely and totally off base here, please let me know. Um, cause, cause I find it fascinating and I love the discussion. I love the dialogue. So let me know what you think. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back next week with, um, something else. Don't really know where we're headed. I've got too, too many balls in the air to, to know at this point, but again, really appreciate you listening and we will talk to you next week on cartels, conspiracies, and Camarena. <laughs>